0: Today, I get to talk about this idea of judging. How do we quit playing God and stop judging people? And it comes from James, as you guys have been working through this. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter 4. As you're doing it, I will just tell you thank you for having me back. I miss you guys. I love each and every one of you. Some of you probably don't know me, so maybe our love's not quite as far along as As others, but I do miss you a lot and I appreciate being back here. It feels like home. So, this verse it says this Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? By a show of hands, have you ever felt judged by your neighbor? Someone may be telling you what a good Christian looks like, that what a bad Christian is, and how you might be leaning towards the bad Christian because of something you're doing. Anyone feel that way? Ever? You ever have that feeling? Okay. Not everyone. Interesting. Interesting. I, I think what I want you to do is I want you to think back at that moment and say, how did it really make me feel? Did you find yourself in that moment going, oh man, thank you, thank you, I appreciate you pointing out why I'm a bad Christian, I I really needed that, I needed to feel the, the conviction in my life of the things that I need to improve and change. Or perhaps you felt just a tinge of defensiveness, a little bit of resentment and frustration, perhaps even like, why am I here, why am I doing that? This is what I want to explore. I want to look deeper into when we should impose or not impose our views of Christianity, our views of what is good and bad on others and the behaviors that they're doing. There's a fine line here, I know. Uh, Should people drink? Should they play cards, go to movies, smoke, work on Sundays, wear lipstick? Dance, play musical instruments, get a tattoo, have women pastors, be allowed to divorce and remarry, have zippers on their clothing, on and on and on. These lists just go on, and we just continue to debate, right? What's good? What's bad? And that last one about zippers is actually true and in some church bylaws, funny enough. Here's the issue. As I say that list, my guess is, some of you are like, that's silly. Oh, that's silly. Well, that one's kind of serious. Uh, That one one matters. That one matters. And we, we have in our mind like this, yes, no, no, yes. And it's different for each and every one of us, which is the issue. And we start to impose this, what's right and what's wrong, what's bad Christian, what's good Christian, and that's the problem. I was called into the executive pastor's office uh, a few years ago before Canyon Hills. So just so you know, it wasn't here. But the pastor, he goes, "Um, someone has complained about some sunglasses being on the back of your head in service. And they have a problem with it. They they feel like you're trying to be cool and you're sitting in the front row. It's a big deal. You got all the kids around you. And I'm like, well, I am the youth pastor, so being cool is part of my job. But I'm sorry, and I'm going to take these off now because it really has been bugging me. How many of you noticed that they were on? Okay, see, you judgers. <laughs> but this is, this is the issue. And so that's the funny time I was called in. I was called into the principal's office many more times It was kind of a a once-a-month meeting we'd have to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Uh, Sometimes it was my wife and where she was shopping. Someone saw her there and didn't feel like she should be there. And sometimes it was where I was. uh, I was around someone I shouldn't be around. On and on. Once I was suspended for six months. Told I had to, to leave the church for six months because of a rumor and the rumor wasn't true. I told the pastor, that's not true. And he said, well, I need you to fall on your sword and just take six months because it's an issue for this family. I'm like, okay. I mean, it's a miracle I'm still in ministry. Uh, just a few weeks ago, someone actually did complain again. This is an open wound. No, I'm just kidding. It was a few weeks ago, they said something about my house and how it's a little big for a pastor. And I'm like, well have you seen Larry's house? (laughs) They didn't know who Larry was, but I'm just, that really did happen, but this is just something that I find over and over and over again where this judgment of what's good and bad as Christians, and it's hard. The only reason I think I'm still in ministry is I noticed that it goes back a long way. In fact, it's in the Bible. This is happening in the Bible. It's Romans chapter 14. And here's what it says. It's Christians arguing with each other about food. Now, except the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Same thing, right? This two groups arguing about food. We don't argue about food anymore because we've decided to eat everything we see, but they were dealing with a food issue. We have Thousands of debates like this going on right now that's splitting churches. In fact, I went on Google and I put, how many church splits have there been since Christianity has started? And I broke the internet because I could not find the answer. It was like that question was too difficult, too many, some little, some not reported, some massive. So I just think it's just such a rampant issue. We can't even, we can't even like, count it anymore. How crazy is that? Romans 14, what's interesting about what's going on there is you can't really understand it unless you go back two chapters. Romans 12, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, and he's saying each one of you has this superpower within you. It's the Holy Spirit that made you unique, and it's giving you this power to do something incredible in this world. And he goes on to chapter 13 and he says, okay, now chapter 13, you're going to be in different governments, different systems. You're going to have different leaders. Respect those leaders. And we kind, of, we kind of hold on to that as this is the civil authority chapter. But it was really about chapter 12 and saying, you have these gifts. You're going to be in situations in which you're living in a time that it's going to be difficult but you still need to live out these gifts. Honor those who are in charge. Government and all. Those are all issues that are real. But you have a, a special, unique gift to give. And your debt is to give it in love. Here's what it says. Verse, chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So you're going to live in societies challenging different leaders, respect it, but know that your debt to the world, your debt is the gift you were given in chapter 12. And the way you show that gift is how you love your neighbor. Do you not understand? Let me give you an example. Chapter 14. It fits together that way. So 14 it says, here's an actual situation that you're dealing with and how you should respond based on the love, based on the gifts that I have put in you. So you get to chapter 14, here's the issue. There's, there's a very serious debate going on. On one side, you've got the, you've got the conservative uh, Christian, really the Jew at the time, and he, they're saying, all right, The Roman cities and the Greek cities, they're all sacrificing meat to their idols. And they're they're taking the best meat they can buy, putting it on uh, whatever, and burning it up to God. Well, if you own a meat shop, you're a butcher of some sort, entrepreneur mindset, where do you think most of those are going to be? Probably the place where they're just burning it. They're buying it and burning it. And you're like, yeah, I got a good business here. You buy it and then burn it up, and then I'll see you next week. So the conservative sort of view on this is, listen, we might be free to eat this meat, but by going to this shop, it's the same shop where they're selling the meat being burned up just a little ways away to other gods. And if you support these shops... You're kind of supporting all of this idol worship. Then you have the sort of the liberal progressive Christian come along and go, wait, 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 wait. I like a good steak. And my family, we like to eat meat. So every once in a while, we'd like to be able to go and buy some meat for our family. And if I go to the shop and buy the meat, that does not mean that I'm supporting idol worship. Christ himself spoke about this and said, I'm free to eat the meat. Here's what's interesting. They're both right. They're both absolutely correct. Yeah, it probably is kind of supporting something that's a little iffy. And it's also, you're free to do it. Smart people, intelligent people on both sides making valid views. The exact same thing we have going on today Happening in Romans 14. Now understand there are issues Scripture is clear about. Those are easy. Don't be drunk. Real clear scriptures on don't be drunk. Okay, got it. Don't commit adultery. Okay, there's plenty of scriptures saying that exact stuff. But then there's a thousand other issues that are a little bit hazy, a little bit gray, with smart people speaking to both sides, and it's mainly about you and your conviction. And how you want to deal with each one of those. And for some reason that has led to complete guilt that is being poured out onto others. So much so that we have to go into a sermon like this and speak to this issue of not being God. William Barclay, talking about these verses, had a really interesting insight. Because when we use the word weak in faith, we kind of jump to the conclusion of, Oh, someone who can't abstain from doing something. But here's what William Barclay says. He has not yet discovered the meaning of Christian freedom. He is at his heart still a legalist. He sees Christianity as a thing of rules and regulations. His whole aim is to govern his life by a series of laws and observances. He is indeed frightened of Christian freedom and Christian liberty he goes on to point two. It's up there, but it says the same thing. What's so interesting about this is that this weakened in faith, our first interpretation might be you're too weak to abstain from something, but in reality, weakened in faith very well could be you haven't yet discovered the freedom of Christ, and you still need rules, so you feel like you're doing enough to get this gift from God. Interesting stuff. Here's Romans 14:3 specifically. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. Another interesting point. It's not necessarily the conservative who is telling someone what they should and shouldn't do, and they're the ones looking down on the other. It's actually probably the one who feels free going, man, you hypocrites, you church people. I, you don't even understand how free we are. They're the ones sometimes looking down on those that have made strong convictions. It goes both ways. That verse continues. The man who does not eat everything must not condemn, different word, the man who does, for God has accepted him. Two sides, two views, two issues. So how do we deal with this? Let me give you some handles, some things you can grab onto and say, okay, this this is where I need to deal with this issue. There's three of them. They're in your notes. First one, not criticizing someone with a different point of view. Start there. Because what happens is when we see someone with a different point of view, we'll say something to the effect of, a, we wouldn't say it like this, but something like it. A real Christian wouldn't do that. That. See, that is different for everyone, which is part of the problem. A real Christian wouldn't do that. Each one of you has a that. And a bad Christian, well, they do that. We'll come back to that. The second one, do not categorize Christians. This is the classifying some as the bad Christians, those that act a certain way, some as the good Christians, and then we find ourselves sort of hanging with the people that are more like us. In fact, in church, it happens all the time. You know, you go to church together, you're all cool, you know, we, we like each other, but I kind of like this group a little more, and that's where the cliques begin, because this group really believes like me. You know, politically, we're pretty close. Uh, we all have like, this is sort of bad, this is a little too far, this is okay, and that's the group you tend to hang with. And meanwhile, that group over there, well, they might be Christian, but they're that other type of Christian. Let's come back to that. Third one, there are times when limitations make sense. Maybe you're working with an AA group, Celebrate Recovery. Maybe you're working with um, a particular shelter that's dealing with a certain issue over and over and over again. And so as a group, you come together and say, there's certain things we're going to do that are different here. That's where you have to be real careful and say, we as a group have made a decision. It doesn't mean that this is like what a real Christian is. It means for this group, we need to make this decision. When we, when we lean into the other and saying what's a good and bad Christian, we start to, to propagate this concept that Christianity is just a set of rules. It's just these rules that these sheep have to obey, and they need that in their life, and that more and more that is causing more problems than good. I want you to personalize it, so I put a three-by-five card in your bulletin. Pull that out for a second. On that three-by-five card, I want you to write down some time in your history, maybe sooner or later, I don't know how long it's been, where you have felt that that guilt. Someone telling you why you're a bad Christian, or maybe you just feel that way because of something. I want you to really personalize this, write it down in full, and then I'll have each of you come up and share it out loud. I won't do that. I want you to be real, so this is only for you. No one's going to see it, but be honest. How have you felt that way? And as you're doing it, I want to share a story from someone that goes uh, to my church. I got their permission to share their story, and I tell it to you because this is who is among you. There's a person in our church that serves behind the scenes all the time. They might even be here today. Probably not here, but... I can confidently say that no one in this room knows their story. And I can also say this person has been judged by others because they don't know what they've overcome to be here today. And I got permission to tell their story. They've been divorced a few times. And the second time, they left someone to marry a pastor. They trusted this person. and They spent so much time around them and serving that they fell in love. And they felt like because this person was a pastor, everything they said had to be from God. Which is totally true, okay? (laughs) I'm just kidding. When the church said, this marriage is not right. You can't do it. You've been divorced before. They did it anyway. And once they were married, this same person that they loved started abusing them. And they used God as a tool to hurt them. Our children were so abused by this person. And I hid my depression because as a pastor's spouse, I wasn't allowed to be depressed. And when I finally got out of this pain, the damage that had been done to me and my kids, I just didn't know what to think about God anymore. And I'm at church today trying to rebuild my relationship with God. There's far more to this story. I've worked with this person but I want you to know that some people who've come into the room have, back, have so much baggage and so much pain, and just to be here is a big deal. And when we start to lay on them what a real Christian looks like, start to point at all these things about divorce and pastors and abuse and saying online what a real Christian would do and not do, all of that is just, is, we just don't realize the pain that we are causing others as we do this. We have to be more careful. Paul says, But you, why do you judge your brother? Are you again? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. In other words, let's stop trying to be God. God. Let's stop putting stumbling blocks in our brothers' and sisters' way. God is God, and he will convict. He'll do it. Let's let him do it. So go back to your list. The first one, not criticizing someone with a different point of view. When we begin to shoot these arrows of guilt at people, you need to understand how much power you have. You are strong, and you have a power within you to absolutely shape someone's life. You can devastate someone's self-esteem with just a few words. You can say something that would cause someone to leave the church today and not come back for 20 years. That's the power that you hold in your grasp right now. And that power can be used to uplift and help someone, and help them grow in such ways that they are excited, they leave excited, or it can absolutely rip someone apart. That's what you have right now. I want you to flip your card over. Hopefully you didn't need two pages for the last one. On the other side, I want you to write, again being very personal, how maybe you've treated someone, how you've made someone feel, and how that That conviction you have may have hurt someone. And I want you to be very honest and write it out and go, maybe I need to take a closer look at this, what I'm calling a real Christian, what I'm saying a bad Christian is. Write it out. It won't be brought up. I'm not going to make you show me on your way out. I just want you to personalize this message. And as you're doing that, I'll continue on. Number two is this do not categorize Christians. We have a core value at our church called, People of Purpose. I slip it into every sermon. Every time I do announcements, it's like they they know this one. And the reason is, when I went up there and just started interviewing people and meeting with people, one of the questions I would ask everyone was, what's your spiritual gift? And 95% of the people had no idea. And when they would say something, it would be a talent or a skill or something that they liked. It, had, it didn't make sense when you've read what the spiritual gifts are in the Bible. And so we have really tried to teach everyone has a spiritual gift and how you figure it out, how you use it. And so what I'll say is constantly, in fact, they laugh now when I say it, you have a spiritual gift. It's this unique thing in you. You're the only one that has it and lives in your neighborhood, works where you work, and has the background and experiences that you've experienced. You're the only one. Meaning, you've got to use it. You have to bring that out and use it. Now, what I want to do today is say this. Look at the person next to you, to your right and to your left. Look at the people across the room, the other group, (laughs) The different group, and say they also have it. If we have this church mission to reach our city, and we really believe, like we really want to reach our city, it's going to take a lot of different, unique Christians. And that group that's different from you, the one that's unique across the room, they're reaching a group of people you will never reach. You're way too different. And they're so different and so weird that they might actually reach a group of people for Christ that you would never be able to reach. And vice versa. The group that you make fun of, you're like, that is so ridiculous. They're reaching people that you would never be able to reach. If we celebrate the differences, where the lines are fuzzy... Where this, I don't know if I agree with it, but keep sharing Jesus. Let's do that. Let's celebrate it because that's how we reach our city for Christ. And that third one there are times when limitations make sense. It's true. All things are permissible, but not all things are wise. Not all things are wise at all times. We just have to be careful. We know right from wrong. We use the Bible to derive those things. We don't you know, tolerate these certain sins, but that leans so quickly and so fast to complete condemnation, guilt, judgment. And we have to be careful because that's an even greater problem in the church. So let me give you kind of a plan. You feel like there is some things I need to address. There's some things that are kind of important. Here's how I would go about doing it. Start with Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Start here. And here's what Matthew 7, 3 says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in my eye? You hypocrite! First, first, Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I'm not saying don't deal with it. I'm saying start with you. It could be a you problem. Could be. So take a step back and go, wait a minute. I have a problem with that. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the issue. And you begin to kind of work through that, deal with that. Then once you've done that, you can move forward. And here's where I would move forward. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So yeah, there might be a time when you're going to help someone, build them up. And this is where you might want counsel not the click, not the group gang. We all agree that that guy is totally awful, right? That's not right. No, you go to counsel and say, I, I have an issue here. I've kind of dealt with it myself. Um, what would be the best approach to lift this person up instead of tear them down? Move forward like that. Then you can move to the verse we love to quote, even though it's completely out of context, but we love it It's Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, then you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. Like publicly shame them in front of everyone. And if they refuse to listen, I added that part in there, by the way, even to the church, then you would treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I say out of context, who did Jesus hang out with? Yeah, pagans and tax collectors. You have to read this in Jesus' eyes. And you can actually see a whole different story being told. A story that's a complete sermon, so I'm going to leave it right there and move on, because (laughs) I don't have time to go into that sermon. But there's more going on here. You can go up to people, but be very careful in how we do it. Hopefully, this is what you're getting. Begin with love. Love is first and foremost as we are being Christians. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. God will bring conviction as you show who Christ is in love, as you show who Christ is as you serve There's a conviction that will happen. It doesn't need to come from you. It will come from God. And it will absolutely change lives.